Alexis Cotton, a design lead at Meta, discusses her journey into design and her experience as a neurodivergent designer. She shares her passion for storytelling and finding her voice as a designer. Alexis also talks about the challenges of making friends during the pandemic and the importance of work-life balance. Let's get into it. My guest today is Alexis Cotton, a design lead at Meta. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How's your day going? How you been? It's been a little bit of a couple months since we got, maybe more than a couple months. Time flies. How you been? Great. Can't complain. It's a little gray in LA right now, which is abnormal, yeah. but also a nice change to not be baking in my sunroom that is also my office. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm actually honored. This is the first podcast that you've been on and we're excited to have you. And I'm sure the audience is excited to get to know you. Before we get into the meat of our discussion, I wanted to start out with a few icebreaker questions. One question that I ask all of our guests is, what is something that you are currently obsessed with? That's a hard question for me because I'm in the market for some new hobbies. I realized okay. during the pandemic, I lost all of the activities that I loved. And it was mm. because most of the hobbies that I enjoyed were based on a time and place and being in mm. group settings. So when I lived in San Francisco, I was in a pool league and played pool every Tuesday. Wow. And so that was not something that you could have done during the pandemic. Or even my more creative side, I prefer to be at a museum doing some sort of workshop. And so it's been a year and a half since I've been here in LA and I'm now trying to rediscover what my hobbies are. And so I think I'm going to try to pick up surfing, which I did when I was younger. I actually attempted uh, it this weekend. Went how'd okay. <laughs> it went okay. Yeah. I definitely looked like I knew what I was doing heading out, but just nosedived every time. Yeah. Look, anytime I see somebody with a wetsuit on carrying a surfboard, I don't care what their skill is. I just got to give them props for getting out there in the first place. Oh, yeah. Just even carrying a surfboard is a big feat. But yeah. the difference between surfing when I was 10 years younger and a bit lighter, like understanding the timing of waves is such a practice that I'm not used to. But there's actually yeah. an event next week at Meta for black surfers and they're doing a documentary and I'm like, oh, I could find my wow. design community or design. I can find my surf community amongst some of the Meta mates. That's amazing. So there's like a, a large, there's a big enough cohort of black surfers at Meta that have a group. I think this is like the inception of what uh -huh. might be this black surf community. Nice. So we'll see how many folks show up, but it yeah. should be good. Sounds amazing. Yeah. To your point, like, I feel like this year I've just dedicated this summer to like doing some new hobbies. Yeah. I've started DJ classes. And hopefully I can do a few shows at some point before the end of the year. And then I tried flying an Why? airplane. Why? Oh. I've been, I've always been obsessed with flight. So to actually hop in an airplane and have a lesson and fly around the bay was really a dream come true. And it was exciting, surprisingly. And outside of like the bumps you get from the wind and actually feeling it in your stomach when you're changing different altitudes, like I'm pretty hooked. Awesome. Yeah. I'm someone who would never skydive like that idea of jumping out of a plane and landing on the ground is a bit much, but I'm definitely more of the, I guess, with bringing up surfing, also love scuba diving. And I know some people find even the concept very me. intimidating, Yeah, but it's beautiful down there. And I keep yeah. telling people who are debating whether it's for them, it's, we may be the last generation of people to like really yeah. appreciate coral reefs and what the ocean has wow. to offer. Wow. Yeah. Dang, I never thought about it like that, but it's sadly true. 
Let's switch to the next question. All right. This one is a, might be a doozy. I hope it isn't. I hope you've been thinking about this one. If a person, place, or thing could symbolize your personality, what would it be or where would it be? So hard. And I think a lot of people might say this, but like my home is a good representation, mm. not no. only because I'm a remote employee who spends the majority of their day here. It is also a home that I share with my partner, who is now my fiance as of a couple months ago. Right. And thank you. Very excited. But it's also the first space where I feel like it best represents my style, my partner style, that like unification of it. So I'm starting mm. to collect art furniture that's not just from ikea that i know i'm gonna throw away at the next move so more meaningful pieces that represent me and my partner yeah i love that yeah and it's yours right it's uniquely yours and i think on that ikea conversation i remember first time i moved and i started buying furniture it can be expensive Oof. holy cow there are like levels to furniture yeah we decided not to just jump in and buy everything at once because our bank accounts, like we just couldn't handle all of the money going out at yeah. once. But there are great like rental furniture companies like mm. Furnish is what we're using for our couch or the bed yeah. in the guest room. And once we feel like we found something that we love versus just buying something for the sake of needing that item, then we can mm. swap it out. I love that. I need to look into that. You're right. It's a lot of money to be investing in furniture right off the bat. All right. Last icebreaker. What is something do you think that people aren't talking about enough? That's a great question. I don't think we talk enough about how hard it is to make friends. During the pandemic, obviously, you had to shift the way that you were making friends or connecting with people you already appreciated and wanted to be around, whether that was virtual or more socially distanced experiences. But although my partner and I met at USC and had lived in LA before moving to the Bay Area, we have since returned and I'm looking yeah. around. I'm like, OK, there are some friends that I have here from college, maybe some who have moved from where I'm from, New York City or from the Bay Area. But it's hard to make friends. It's like, where do you yeah. go to yeah. find people that are like you? And I'm not someone who makes friends online. Yeah. So we should talk about yeah. how hard that is and be more upfront with people that we are close to and ask them to set us up. It doesn't have to be a romantic setup. It's platonic. Yeah. Like, who do you think I would vibe with? That you yeah, yeah. I think one of the difficult things, especially when you're moving, yeah, it's, I also would think like the scheduling piece, like that's like a whole new dynamic. Especially right? in LA. Uh, yeah. yeah. Even in the Bay, I feel, I lived in Chicago for a little bit, albeit I was slightly younger, but I would at least run into people or people would be pretty much in an earshot. So if you made plans, it wasn't too difficult for somebody to be like, yeah, sure. And if they were with the significant other, they would come with their significant other. Here just requires so much planning. And even if you do set up a time, a lot of time those plans change and things fall off. Yeah, the spontaneity feels like it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Not surprisingly, this is a very, for listeners that are regular to the podcast, the concept and the topic around friendship has actually been pretty consistent with a number of our guests. And so I've been thinking about, we need to bring some of the folks that have been on the show, bring them together and get to know each other and meet each other. So it's definitely something that's top of mind for me and then obviously for you. Yeah. You find me a friend. Yeah. Well, you have to also keep us updated on like your techniques and how it's working out for you. <laughs> Sounds good. Hopefully yeah. with these new hobbies I pick up, I'll mm. try to be more extroverted and be like, hey, you want to grab coffee yeah. after this? Or, hey, we should definitely yeah. try and surf next weekend. And 
just a muscle we have so to work on. Yeah. Okay. So now let's get into the show. And before we get in the show, I just want to make sure that our listeners have an idea of who is Alexis. Just give us like brief summarization of who you are and how you got into design and where you are today. Yeah. I was born and raised in New York City, Astoria, Queens, to be exact. And I went to a fine arts high school. I guess stepping back a bit, both of my sister who's younger and myself were in the arts and my parents wanted us to be creative. She being the more extroverted one went into musical theater. I went into the fine arts. So a lot of painting, drawing classes. And so when I was thinking about high schools, decided to apply to Frank Sinatra, which is a fine arts or let me step back. I decided to apply for Frank Sinatra, which is an arts high school. So either you're majoring in drama or dance film. And then I decided to go into fine arts. So every semester you were taking another form of media, whether that was sculpture or painting, art history. And then in my junior year, discovered graphic design. And this wasn't even graphic design using Adobe tools. It was just hand-drawn typography and working with a brief and creating posters using the instructions from the teacher. And so that was like so awesome because I could use both my creative side, but also like systems, problem solving side, which I know a lot of designers who start as more of the fine artists see the benefit of. And then I received a scholarship through the Posse Foundation to go to USC. So although it was in an arts university, which is an art school, which I preferred, their program was a little bit of design. And so I got a chance to learn Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, but it was as a rising sophomore. So during the summer between freshman and sophomore year, I did a weekend at Google New York through their Bold program. Wasn't the full-on internship, but it was just trying to give folks exposure to different types of roles within tech. And they just briefly mentioned what UX design was, and I was hooked. And yeah. so, maybe let's pause there. So maybe give folks like, what is the Posse Foundation? Because I know you, do you still volunteer with them? Maybe give us a quick idea of what they are and the role they played. Yeah, I was a Posse scholar, which meant I received a full tuition scholarship to a university, that being USC. It's called Posse because the model is that they send you in a Posse, your crew, your support system, So all of my posse, the 12 of us, were from New York City, and Mm -hmm. we had this beautiful support system once we arrived in Los Angeles. We also had trainers who we worked with for 35 weeks before we left New York just to talk about what it looks like to be successful on campus. Let's talk about social issues. What are our perspectives? What was beautiful about Posse was that it was based on your leadership and merit potential. So they weren't looking at your SAT scores. They weren't exclusively looking at your grades, but more so how you articulated your leadership. And maybe that was being the president of a club in high school, but it also could have been you were babysitting your siblings because your parents were working all the time. And we learned a lot from each other before getting to campus. And once we got to campus, we just felt confident and like we deserved to be there. And I think that helped us all do better than we would have if we were going to school alone. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Especially considering you went to school on the opposite side of the country. Exactly. So you mentioned you had this internship at Google and then is that really where the, it started to click that UX designers where you want to go into? It wasn't even an internship. It was just a two day 
intensive Ah, where they just took you through some workshops about the different roles you could have at Google or a tech company. Mm -hmm. And they, it was mostly focused on the business side and those roles, but there was a slight mention of the technical side. And that's where I saw how graphic design could then translate to product. Mm -hmm. And so once I got back to campus, I started to just look through all of the different curriculum and see, okay, do we even have any programs or courses related to this? And there was one graduate level course for UX strategy in the informatics major within Mm. the engineering department. And my counselor had no idea what it was, but we made a case for it and I got to participate in that. But then I was like, okay, I need to supplement my experience even more. And I think Another reason why I loved being at USC in the center of Los Angeles was the chance to stack my classes on two to three days and then have the other times, other days of the week to do internships or have a contracted job. I interned at NBC. I worked at an agency for a year who did all the like creative original video production for title music. And so I got my experience outside of school. Was this something that you gained guidance from mentors through like the Posse Foundation or was this something that you were just navigating on your own? A mix. So not only was I looking at job opportunities on USC's boards, job boards, but also Posse had their own career program managers and corporate partners like NBC, which allowed me that opportunity. But also, oh, the Google experience was on the Posse job board as well. That's amazing. That's amazing. So pretty much at this point, what year were you? Were you like a sophomore? Like where exactly. were you at here? Yeah. So at this point, you, you, I'm assuming after that summer knew that you wanted to move into this area. So how did that move? What, what was it like to move from this very kind of like arts driven kind of education to this more product driven approach to design? I think it just clicked. Hmm. My dad wanted me to do a dual degree between business and design, thinking that it would be a more realistic path to do whatever I wanted after graduation. But I think once I realized that I loved product design, it allowed me to use more of that systems mind, that like business strategy side that was a Mm. bit like that was innate to me, but I didn't know if you could also be creative in that space. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like a discovery, right? I'm gauging that you already had this, as you mentioned, articulated innate kind of attraction to business, right? There's two things. You mentioned the UX strategy part. I remember starting out in my career, that felt a little intimidating, but it almost seems like a natural fit for you. When moving into sort of the corporate world, because if I'm not, if I'm correct, like your first job was at Intuit. So my first job was at a startup and then Intuit. Okay. So let's say startup and in, in it, right? Like in terms of the problem space and working with like your different partners, was that something that came naturally? Were there any sort of, were there some areas where you felt a little insecure in terms of your skill set? Maybe take us through that transition. Yeah. When I graduated, my father embedded in me that I needed to enjoy my last summer being a kid. So I didn't have anything lined up, which was honestly yeah. a blessing because I was able to travel went with my friend and her family to Ghana, went with my UX strategy professor to a conference in Romania, saw a friend in Finland who I met studying abroad. So it was a very weird summer, like in terms of the countries that I chose to go to. But yeah, a great experience. I applied then maybe in September to 86 internships, 
jobs wow. in both New York and San Francisco because at the time I had left LA. My parents set me up with an apartment. But the only thing that kind of clicked was a two and a half month contracted role in San Francisco. My partner was also yeah. in the Bay Area. So I was yeah. confident to, even if it was to only be that two and a half months, it would have been right. a worthwhile adventure. And right. I worked at a company called Gigster. I think they have since been acquired, but I was their visual designer. There's one product designer, myself, and then a design director. And for them, visual design meant interior design, presentation design, swag designer. And I really yeah. knew I wanted to get into product design, but there wasn't enough work for me. And so I think sure. because I was figuring out how to amplify my impact as a visual designer, I started to work most closely with the sales team because they needed stronger pitch decks to convince right. clients to work with us. And we were similar to Upwork, where we helped people right. find freelance teams, focusing on more of the enterprise, like big companies, like let's say Google, who doesn't have enough engineering talent or product team talent who understands computer vision, AI, ML. And so I started catering my design efforts to what the business needed, which innate, maybe, I don't, no one told me to do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I continue to employ my design skills now at Meta. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is, I'm sure my research friends will probably have a word with me. I remember working at a startup and working close with sales was a really great way to understand how people were using your product. Because a lot of times if you're in a startup and you're in the R&D side of things, you're working really quickly to get things to market. And so it's amazing just how much you can uncover by just going across the hall with sales and just listening to their needs and what people are getting out of it. So happy you brought that up. So the next piece I want to ask you, Admeta, you're, you're a product design architect. Many of us haven't heard that title before. Maybe take us through what does that mean and yeah. what is like the day-to-day -day So like? there are a handful of product design architects within the Facebook app and they take different forms depending on the priorities, but also folks' skill set. They tend to be more senior designers. One archetype thinks about the end-to-end -end experience around a problem or a piece of architecture that touches many parts of the system. So for example, profile and identity. There's a product design architect who thinks about yeah. what the standard Facebook profile looks like in comparison to a business or creator profile. We also have an additional profile, which allows you to operate as like an anonymous person or use a pseudonym. But because those products are owned by different teams, yeah. you need a design architect to look across those experiences to make sure that our users don't see the organizational seams that exist. The other archetype for product design architecture is where I sit. I call myself a floater. It's like I'm a design consultant working at a firm. So every three to six months, I'm on a different team. Another big problem that we've asked multiple teams to rally around. And so I operate as the design IC lead, make sure that we are articulating our progress very well to VPs or senior leaders, make sure that the experience end-to-end -end makes sense. And yeah, I love the constant yeah. change. And honestly, before I joined Meta, I was considering joining a design firm and having that experience. So it's worked yeah. out unexpectedly. Yeah. So it's, you mentioned it's like on the consultant side of things, 
Is there any sort of part of that work where you're working with other designers and you're handing it off? And how do you manage those types of relationships? Yeah, great question. I would say that when I show up as the lead for some sort of virtual team, I'm never the designer owning a swim lane within a team. So I'm almost operating as a design manager where I'm providing that steer but allowing that individual designer to drive and own their workspace. For me, it's just trying to make sure that all of the designers who are working on this team are communicating well and together we're articulating a clear vision to the folks we need to, but also to this team that could be as many as 30 people. All right. So one of the things that we discussed about is how, how we show up to work, how you show up to work specifically. And one of the things top of mind is the conversation around neurodivergence. We'd love for you to maybe explain to the listeners what that is and, and how does that affect how you show up to work? Yeah. Although I've never been diagnosed, I know and I've known for a couple of years that I am neurodivergent. If I look at the traits of someone on the autism spectrum who is high functioning, my brain works and functions in similar ways. And so Neurodivergence is just a term to describe someone who may have certain brain functions that we wouldn't consider standard or typical. In terms of the kind of symptoms, which I don't like that term, but that relate to the way that I show up that is similar to high-functioning autism would be obsessive tendencies, sensory difficulties. I consider them more preferences to like fabrics and lighting, the ability to focus in on something and have like very deep focus on like devotion to routine. Mm. And although I didn't know about this kind of uniqueness that is me until recently, I think now having the knowledge not only lets me appreciate who I am more and not question why I might be different than my friends and those that I look up to, but also better employ it as a designer and the way that I work. Yeah. So what are some differences right now that you're a bit more conscious of it that you have now versus then? Was it something that you were very hard on yourself? And I would imagine probably a lot of comparison as to why maybe you can do something or you can't do something that someone else is doing. Maybe take us through that. Yeah. I think Society knows a lot about the difference between being introverted and extroverted. For a long time, I was like, oh, I'm just a very introverted person who likes to be by themselves and that's where I get energy. But it's not true. I love, as we were talking about, like hobbies that involve other people. I just Mm -hmm. have a certain barrier until I'm a bit exhausted and I need to then take a step back. But I would say the growing up, more of the frustration was around being jealous of how some people were very outgoing and didn't Mm. have social difficulties. When I was very young, I had trouble talking to my teachers. I would only talk to my close friends in the class or even in high school, I was writing down voicemails before I left them because in the moment Mm. I was just so completely stunned and wouldn't know what to say and lose my train of thought. So as I was getting into not only posse that kind of helped me just get comfortable in, in what my voice was, but in my first role and then in my first role at Gigster and then at Intuit, I spent a lot of time preparing for presentations, usually to directors and above. And while it was a laborious process, 
where sometimes I would write things out word for word, every sentence I wanted to say. I learned how to very clearly communicate what I wanted to say to them in a way that resonated. And I knew how to craft what I needed to say to the audience. And now that through repetition and doing it so often, it is definitely a strength that I like to teach others and understand your audience is crafting the clearest story and not making it more complex than it needs to be. Obviously, design work, especially at big companies, can get so complex, but the person that you're presenting to doesn't need to know all of those things. So how do you in, like engage in this conversation with your manager to support, or at least be cognizant, right? Yeah. I haven't talked about it with my manager. Oh, wow. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I think now that I'm at Meta, I've already figured out how to use it. Mm-hmm. To my advantage, that yeah. people just see it as a strength rather than something that I'm struggling with. It definitely was something that I would bring up with my manager at Intuit yeah. and being a little nervous to present, but him just being very supportive of practice and walking through these presentations and would always let me know that certain people admired what I said and bring those quotes back to me just so that I can have more confidence. Yeah. I, people at work don't know. I guess they yeah. will now. look one of the things that we discussed that was really important to you and now like understanding this is the topic of like storytelling and really finding your voice so one of the things that we discussed was being able to really learn how to storytell and build a voice for yourself right and what was the motivation behind that and then also what have you learned about going through this process yourself the motivation behind it is that your design work is only as great as the way that you can articulate it. I definitely think that working at more corporate design or corporate companies that are very big, most of your work starts with this pitch and this buy-in. So it's not going directly to the users. You're not just shipping the experiences and figuring out the feedback from them. It's convincing your leaders, convincing your team that this is the right direction to go. And so being able to package your work and articulate it in a way that persuades people and influences people to follow along is really important. I also think that it can help if you are interested in moving up into a senior IC track can honestly expedite the process because they want to see people who can help package up work and communicate it effectively, in addition to obviously the hard skills of wireframing and prototyping and actually creating things to be shipped in product. But to some degree, I've skipped some of those steps because I've been so strong in this presentation area and packaging stories and facilitating sprints for teams that sometimes the pixel pushing is hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. I would also say the benefit of, again, thinking about your, your neurodivergence and creating strengths out of it. I would probably say being able to write these things out and being super detailed really allows for people to, to align a lot quicker because there's something that they can refer to. Right. And you can probably get that feedback and iterate on it. Yeah. I'm very big on documentation and that's not something that meta does very well. I think because it grew so quickly It's very bottoms up. Everyone approaches their work differently. But I've been trying to instill in my teams and the people I work with that you are a thought leader, one, as a designer, it doesn't matter what level. You have something to say that can influence the direction of the product 
now or in the future when someone goes onto our workplace product and checks out your thinking from years ago. And yeah, so it, it is a powerful tool to also use for yourself. It's like, what was I thinking? What was my rationale behind this decision? And being able to yeah. look back at it helps you build a stronger argument week over week. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for taking us through that. We're about to wrap up with the show. Is there any advice that you'd want to leave for the listeners before we, we log out? Yeah, I think that with these decisions to go back to the office, be hybrid or remote, like you should really think about where you do your best work. And yes, to some degree for me, there's this fear of missing out, not being in the office full time. But I also know that I do my best work at home where I can focus and get things done very quickly and still have a life outside of work. Being in San Francisco, work was life. And so yeah. being able to step back, now be in LA, I would just challenge people to think about what's best for them to balance work and mm. life. Yeah. How can folks find you on the internet? Honestly, only LinkedIn. I don't have any website right now, only when I'm looking for jobs. Yeah. No Twitter. My Instagram's private, but yeah, yeah. Alexis-Cotton is awesome. my LinkedIn profile. Awesome. Hey, Alexis, thank you so much for sharing your story and the insight into how you see the world. Looking forward to hearing more from you in the future and, and the progress on just building that, that community. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support and it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks, but in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much and I'll see you next time. This has been a production of Technically Speaking Media.